up against any of them. Philadelphia, New York, any of them. Um, plus, we also have a lot of live theater here in, uh, in Las Cruces. Uh, many cities only have maybe one acting troupe or one theater. We have several theaters, not including the ones at, uh, at NMSU that has some fantastic performances. If you saw Rent or any of their season uh, shows this year. But we also have our community theaters and I'm proud to be a part of that scene. And I just want to give a plug for a play that I am in right now called The Rivals. Uh, it is showing at the Blacks, it is showing? Do you say that for live plays? Anyway, we are gathering each week at the uh, Black Box Theater uh, for a play called The Rivals by Richard Sheridan, written back in 1775. And the language is the language of British 1775. And so we actors walk around with our scripts trying to learn these crazy words and meanings. And if you, have you ever heard of what's called a monopropism, where a word is misused? It comes from this play. One of the characters in this play is Mrs. Malaprop. And um, I play an Irish baronet who's broke and conniving and kind of a squirrely guy typecast. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a good, funny show. It's called A Comedy of Manners. It happens in Bath, England. It happens in eight hours. Not, not the play is not eight hours long. <laughs> it's four. No, it's not. Um, it's it, it's a, a play that happens in a day in, a, in uh, the Crescent, which was a, a gathering place in Bath, England, a spa. And there are duels. There are love affairs. There are connivings. And a lot of malaprops throughout the show. So I invite you to come and, and enjoy this. We're open, we'll be playing the next two weekends, the Black Box Theater. You can look them up online, call and get a reservation. It's, we're having a good time with it and our audiences so far have responded very well. So it must be a pretty funny show. So I hope that you will join us. And I am, like I said, just honored to be here uh, after very little sleep, after I got in last night and wound down, I got to bed about two and uh, got up earlier than usual for me. Are we, Sean, are we getting some feedback on this thing? Yeah, okay. He's working, I'll work on it too by stepping away. That would help. <laughs> I'd like to share a prayer with you that is attributed to St. Francis. And uh, I know for many of us, if we were Catholic, St. Francis would be our favorite saint. Uh, but he has always been my favorite saint. And I was real pleased when the present Pope uh, adopted that name for himself. Hear these words. God, bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we will live deeply in our hearts. God, bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people in the earth so that we will work for justice, equity, and peace. God, bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer so that we will reach out our hands to comfort them and change their pain to joy. And may God bless us with the foolishness to think that we can make a difference in our world so that we will do the things which others say cannot be done. Amen. As we are on this weekend, 
it's good to take time to remember. Sometimes we need a gentle reminder of this. We are not, well, we're in, but also we're at the end of the season of commencements. Colleges, high schools, junior high, and now we, got, we have graduation from kindergarten nowadays. Preschool to kindergarten, from cradle to, pre, you know, but sometimes we might lose a little bit of the uh, impact of what it means to commence, to go forward. But it's a significant time in the lives of these folks, young and old in some cases. And I remember that I'm a member of the class of 1965. Any other 1965 class people here that you want to admit? Oh, good, thank you. Uh, several people came up to me at the end of the last service and said, I didn't know I was older than you. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if that was a compliment or not. But anyway, <clears throat> I am a member of the class of 65, small Mississippi town called Marks where we had one high school and we had very small classes. But in 1977, we celebrated our 10th year reunion. Now, before you think that Mississippians can't do math, you need to understand that our class was one that kind of did things at our own pace. So we had our 10th reunion 12 years after we graduated. And we had it at our local little country club, real small place. And before we actually got together for dinner, we had a happy hour. And several of my classmates got happier than others. <laughs> but as it got time to eat, Dr. Goldie Henry, who was our class president, called us all together in the middle of, of the dance floor, or what would be the dance floor after dinner. And he says, Gorton, since you're the one of us who became a minister, would you say a blessing for us. Whoop, you can just feel that head swelling. <clears throat> I was going to pray for my classmates. I was going to show them what a prayerful orator I was becoming. I was going to use words that I was learning in seminary that nobody else understands. I was going to impress them with the prayer. And standing next to me was Pam Caldwell Easterling. Little bitty thing. She hasn't grown since the fourth grade, still hasn't. She was holding my hand, she squeezed my hand, and she looked up, she says, go ahead and pray, Gorton, but we remember you when. <laughs> that took care of any ego I had. But it also made me think for just a moment and to remember who I was. And some of the thoughts that I was thinking were not necessarily good ones because I was remembering all those times in church when I didn't want to hear the preacher be writing notes to my friends or would be whispering, talking about what we're going to do that afternoon. Or when I went to MYF, and instead of participating or listening to the program, we were talking about where we were going to go after MYF for what we called Afterglow back then. I was, just wasn't paying much attention. And I needed a little reminder from Pam who I was. And trust me, 50 some odd years later, I was visiting with Pam just last October, and <clears throat> she still reminds me who I am. And matter of fact, she told my wife, she says, I'll do the best Pam I can. Now, you know that Gordon and I were first, first good boyfriend, girlfriend back in third grade, and we would hold hands. And I thought, Pam, no, I don't need to hear that again. 
but she was one who reminded me who I am. Israel, Israel need to be reminded who they were. You see, the people of Israel had been in exile in Babylon for over 50 years. They've been in Babylon as long as I've been out of high school, and that's a long time. And they were called back to the Holy Land. And when they got back to the Holy Land, they found that it was totally devastated. You see, the place in Jerusalem was the temple. That's where God was. And if the temple wasn't there, then God wasn't there. And God would have abandoned the people. And so when they came back, Nehemiah was tasked with the responsibility, tasked by God, with the responsibility to rebuild the temple. And he rebuilt first the walls of Jerusalem and the gates that would enter into the uh, temple area. Then he would rebuild the temple. It would be called the era of the second temple. But the temple wasn't ready. And Ezra the priest called the people together at one of the gates into the, into the temple area. It was called the water gate. Does that sound familiar to us? About almost 50 years ago? It's a different water gate. And the people are called there for the purpose of hearing the word of God read. And when Ezra began to read it, the people began to weep. They began to hold their hands up. They began to understand who they were and who they had become. They were beginning to understand how they had betrayed God. Not God betraying them or sending them off into exile. They had betrayed God. The word was read and it was interpreted. That's important. Because they could hear the words that Ezra read, but he would then share with them what it meant for them. They were moved to their very souls. And they realized that they had not been a faithful people. But they had a reassurance from Ezra. Go, eat rich food and drink something sweet. And send portions of this to any who have nothing ready. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't be sad. Because the joy from the Lord is your strength. The joy from the Lord is your strength. It happened in church. Church is where the people gather. God's word is imparted. And there is a desire from deep within us to live lives of faithfulness. And there was a blessing. This morning as we gather to worship, each one of us brings with us our own expectations. You know, there are many parts to a service of worship. And they all speak to different people. There are people who really actually come to church to hear a sermon. What? Sorry about that. I, this is as good as it gets today. This, uh, you are so blessed. Ross is a fabulous preacher. And he brings the message to you in a very great sense of strength and renewal. And I, first time I've been able to worship with you here in the new facility, or almost new facility, whatever two weeks means. And it's beautiful. But I do watch when you stream. And I enjoy that because sometimes I skip church. <clears throat> I, uh, sometimes I don't make it to church. But um, not very often. But it's always great to be able to know that I can always worship with the Morningstar family uh, via Facebook.
but it's a time for us to come, and some people come for the sermon. Some people come for the music. I remember I was serving one church, and a young lady came up to me after, oh, three or four weeks there, and she says, I don't care if you are a good preacher or a bad preacher, but you better have good music. She said, that's the way I worship. And that was true. I mean, she was adamant about that. And so what I did, I said, okay, Jan, what are you going to do to make sure we have good music? Well, she hadn't been in the choir in 15 years. She joined the choir and became one of the leaders of that organization. Some people come for the liturgy, for the prayers, for the confessions. It feels good to us to have that outlet. Thank you, the way Kathy introduced this to us, this confession. We come and we affirm our faith. We come and we have ritual prayers like the Our Father, and they mean something to us. And some people just feel good. And matter of fact, some people like to go to, to churches that have what we call high church. And I think that it's good, too. I enjoy, I love liturgy. And I love being a part of the liturgical body of faith. And that's who we are as United Methodists. Some not maybe as high as others, but that's okay. Jackie's son, Steve, and I share that we both like that, that liturgy, that high church. And it's a part of who we are as people of worship. But when the people gathered at Watergate, they came with everything they knew was wrong. They came with fear. They came with intrepidation. They came fearing that God was not there. But God was at the Watergate. And God spoke to the people through Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites. God was there. And God touched the hearts of those who were worshiping, who wanted to be faithful to Yahweh. God was there. As Ezra proclaimed the blessing to eat rich food and drink something sweet. This day is holy to the Lord, he said. Don't be sad. Because the joy from the Lord is your strength. Is the joy from the Lord your strength this morning? Or do you block that joy with a sense of dissatisfaction? Is the joy of the Lord entering into your heart as you have participated in worship this morning? I hope it does. I hope it does because we cannot be in ministry to others if the joy of Christ is not in us. We cannot eat spiritual food and drink the spiritual drink of faith if we are bitter within. We cannot share the bounty of our faith if we are not enriched by God's spirit. And it happens in church. Many, many years later, we have Luke's story of Jesus coming out of the wilderness. He says that after he was baptized, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was in that setting where God revealed to Jesus just what kind of ministry he would have that would be a ministry of salvation for you and me. And it, Luke says he came out empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he began to preach in the Galilee area. And people were impressed. He had good things to say. He was a good preacher, Jesus was. And they listened to him. And then he came home. And he, the small town boy from Nazareth, like that small town boy from Marks, Mississippi, was going to be able to be in a religious conversation with his friends. 
And so he went to the synagogue and as the men gathered and, and they were the men, the women were in another place. Jesus was there and they had heard about him. They had heard he was such a good preacher and a defective teacher. And so they gave him a scroll of Isaiah to read and he read. And after he read, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it to the synagogue attendant and he sat down. And when the reader sat down in synagogue, it means he was fixing to teach. And they were saying, go ahead and try to teach us, Jesus. We remember you when. I remember you, Jesus, when you came to my house and you repaired the leg on my table. I remember you, Jesus, when you were chasing my daughter out there around the house when you were a kid. You remember that, Jesus? I remember you. Go ahead and try to teach us. And what did they expect to happen? Did they expect him to teach as they were used to by raising questions? Like, now what does this scripture mean to our world today? Or maybe it meant, who are the oppressed that the prophet calls to be set free? This is what they expected to hear. But that's not what they heard. Jesus said to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. That's what we call a zinger because that is not what they expected. But that's what happened in church. The unexpected happens in church and they were shocked. They were amazed and they were indignant. No, Jesus boldly proclaimed that God's will was right there before them and that God was with them. God was there in the person of Jesus. And it happened in church. When you come into this worship service, I hope that you have some expectations. I hope you expect to sense God's will for you. I hope that you expect God to bless you and this church. Friends, we should be very serious about being a part of what God wants to bless in and through Morningstar United Methodist Church. Your passions, your gifts, your unique personalities combine to make it possible for this church to be a part of what God wants to bless. You are not here by accident. This church didn't just pop up on this plot of ground on the East Mesa. As a matter of fact, this church came about on this East Mesa before most of the houses. You are here for a purpose, a divine purpose, to be a part of what God wants to bless. It happened in church. Someone heard God's voice in her heart and decided to make a firm commitment in Christian service. Someone felt the need in his soul to follow the leadership of God's Holy Spirit and volunteered to teach Sunday school this summer. There was a young person here who sensed God calling him into Christian discipleship. And he gave his heart to Christ 
that morning. It happened in church. What will happen for you this morning? Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we commend ourselves into your care that you might bless us, that you might bless us to be a blessing to others. Let it happen in church today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.